Welcome to the Mosquito Story Slam podcast, where storytellers have a chance to bite it live. These stories were recorded in front of a live audience on December 14th, 2019 at Provincetown Theatre in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The theme was Home for the Holidays. Okay, so um, I would like to welcome uh, for our first story to the stage, my co-host, William Mullen. Keep it going for Vanessa. She's the creator of this wonderful, wonderful show. All right. Well, this is great. There's a lot happening tonight. There's a lot happening in December in Provincetown. It's, it's, it's exciting, right? There's like little... But I, I'm just waiting that, um, I'm, well, I'm glad we don't have like, I guess Holly Folly is a little bit like SantaCon. Have you guys ever witnessed SantaCon in New York City? You're shaking your head no. I could do a whole story on, it. they're just drunk Santa Clauses for the whole day. It's this weekend, right, Phil? No, in New York, it happened already? When, when last weekend? She wrote you for help. She was like, oh my God, help. There are like drunk Santas around me attacking. That's how it is. You cannot, you just, you just hunker down and you watch old movies and you do not go outside in New York City during SantaCon. Feel trapped. Um, oh my word. So yeah, that was a real, like um, Vanessa was uh, asked me, well, can you do, uh, I'm gonna do a sample prompt. I want to write, and she was picking from the prompts that you all filled out. I'm like, I have a million prompts. Hold on. <laughs> so I, I wrote it down. That was true. Um, the holidays were always just ridiculous growing up in my family, and it never stopped being ridiculous. Um, when uh, um, and, 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 and yeah, my sister was on antidepressants, and she loved Hershey's candy bars, and that's all she ate, even though there was a turkey in front of her. Um, that was weird. <laughs> Because I was a child, I was much younger than her, and I was like, why can't I have candy bars? They're like, you're not on antidepressants. Eat the turkey. So um, when, uh, when my mom got uh, um, older, um, she, she lived alone in suburban Connecticut, and she was kind of like a shut-in. And, and, but she was comfortable being a shut-in. She just wanted to watch her TV and things like that. And my brother, who had a family, and I would visit her during the holidays, and for Thanksgiving, you know, like she was done cooking, right? She was older, she was done cooking, and we were, quite frankly, done eating her Thanksgiving dinner because it was never good to begin with. It was Thanksgiving by Stouffer's, and, and she even messed that up. It was, it was bad. So we would every year bring her to a fancy Connecticut restaurant within like a fancier spa and resort that was known for their Thanksgiving buffets, right? It was a special thing, so we would bring her. And, um, and, and a little bit, my, my mother didn't really take care of her health that much, and she had type two diabetes. And um, she always struggled with that, but she always would say, I'm keeping it in check, I'm keeping it in check. And, but we would visit her from uh, uh, time from time, and we would, we, hi, and we'd see on the counter, like a package of Oreo cookies. And we're like, Mom, what are these Oreo cookies? She's like, oh, they're, um, they're for, the, for, for the children. I'm like, you have no children. She's like, no, um, um, the kids, they come to the door. 
I'm like, there are magical kids coming to the door for your Oreo cookies. <laughs> liar, total liar. She was a liar. So, um, so uh, one year we um, we decided to to take her out like we always did, and um, and we drove to this wonderful place. It it what it, it's a fabulous place. It's right on the ocean, and has this big dining room, uh, thirty foot ceilings, and a gorgeous view. Of, of the water, and then in the middle of the dining room, a buffet. And the buffet, they were not joking. Like, the buffet is amazing. You, any kind of Thanksgiving food. And I, I don't know if you've been to Connecticut before, but <laughs> everyone just seemed to be wearing, like, everyone just wanted that Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving card, the, the scene, right? So they have the blue blazers, and they're all like ready, and all the kids are picture perfect and well-behaved, and everyone's in there, and, um, and, and, and my brother brings his kids, and they're well-behaved, and, and we all sit down, and I go to uh, make my mom's plate, and I go to the Thanksgiving buffet, and, um, and I, I just do a, a moderate um, uh, a portion on her plate, and during Thanksgiving, she goes, oh, I need to tell you, I went to the doctor, and last week, he said, my blood sugar is perfect. I'm doing a great job. We're like, that's wonderful. That's amazing. That's awesome. Time to celebrate. And so, you know, she doesn't get out a lot. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll let her slide. Maybe she'll have a glass of wine. She's not supposed to have that because there's a lot of sugar. I come back to the table with her plate, and she just whiffs it down like she's never had Thanksgiving before. Because the food's good, but she just gobble, 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 gobble. And, um, and, then, and then, and it was weird because she was eating, and then the kids are picky eaters, so they would have like just a strand of turkey, and they'd just pick at it, and my mom's just like, you're eating the bird like a bird. You know, so it's like she didn't understand. At the end of the meal, they had this separate dessert table. It, it was like the longest dessert table. It had everything on it. German chocolate cake, every kind of cheesecake, Pumpkin pie, pecan pie, apple pie, everything. It was, it was amazing. So I went and I got some variety of things because my mom you know, can't have sweets. I'm like, well, you know what? We'll make an exception. We're out. You know, she's older. This is Thanksgiving. So I, I pile up the plate for the table thinking the kids are just going to dive in. No, they're picking on sweets too. It was crazy. So I go and, um, and she just digs in and digs in and eats and eats and eats it. And then, um, and then she turns to me and she goes, where's the little girl's room? That's what she called the bathroom, little girl's room. It's always strange to me, the little, little girl's room. Um, and I said, oh, it's right across the, um, the hall, but let, let me help you because she has trouble walking. And I lift her up and um, she's uh, walking past the buffet and she stops and she looks to me and she goes, oh my God, it's coming out. It's coming out. <laughs> And it was coming out. She was shitting herself. Yeah. Yeah. It was in front of hundreds of people trying to enjoy their Thanksgiving and in front of the buffet, actually. And everything just seemed to go in slow motion, mostly because my mom couldn't walk because she has a bum knee. So everything was slow. And I'm trying to get her out of there. And it's just, it's, it's coming out. And... Let me tell you, there was no surprise. People knew that she was shitting her pants. So um, people were actually kind of like, 
when they're like noticing this woman's having a problem, is it? And they recoil. They're like, oh, they're like grabbing their children, like to protect the child. Like, come on. I mean, it's she's having an accident. So we we get to the hallway that has the restroom there, and I bring my mom. I don't walk in it. It's 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 the women's room. So um, I open the door, and my mom kind of waddles in there, and um, you can just tell she's she shit herself. So. I, I close the door, and I'm shaking. I'm like, we're in the middle of a restaurant. She has completely soiled herself. What's the next move I should be doing? <laughs> so I'm in front of this door, like, shaking. And so I'm like, a couple of minutes. I And, and most of the women, like, were just leaps and bounds. They're like, oh, my, what's happening? And they're, like, getting out of that bathroom. So I crack open the door, and I'm like, I was like, Mom, how are you doing in there? And I noticed that there was one woman who unfortunately was stuck in the stall next to my mom who's trying to navigate, like, kind of out of her clothes. Um, and all I hear is someone go, I can't breathe. And I was like, oh, dear God, like, what do you do? So I'm trying to, like, fend off people. Like, don't go in that bathroom. Do not, you no, I don't know where the other one is. Don't go in. I'm not management. Don't go in there. And then this one tall woman goes right past me. And she walks in. I was like, okay, all right. One minute goes by. She comes out. And she goes, is your mother in there? I'm like, yes. Yes, it is. She noticed I'm like shaking. I'm white as a ghost. She goes, I'm a nurse. I deal with elderly all the time. I deal with this all the time. She's going to need clothes. I'm like, I'm sorry, we didn't bring the suitcase. What do you want me to do? And this woman, who I now call to this day Florence Nightingale, barks at management and says, I need you to open up the spa store, this fancy spa store, right now. And she grabs me and the manager, and we run down to the spa store, where he opens it up, and there's these fancy monogrammed robes and towels and slippers, and she's just grabbing all of them off these racks. And they're Connecticut, like, you know, preppy prices. They're like, you know, $100 from there. She doesn't care. She's just boom, boom. And she races back into the bathroom. I stood out there. And, well, by the time we get back there, the cleaning people, and they were magical, too. They were like little elves. I, I, I was just like, I just peeked in to the, to the dining room, and I saw my brother, and I was just like, get the car. Meet us outside now. Yes, start the car. Don't worry about the bill. We'll be billed later, I'm sure. So, um, but I noticed that they had already cleaned up and anything, and they were now standing near the bathroom like it was a crime scene. Like, they were like, we're waiting for the call to go into that building. Uh, into that room. So um, uh, Florence Nightingale goes in there, and after about five minutes, she comes out, and I realized she'd been cleaning my mom. Unbelievable. She comes out, and she goes, okay, so your mom doesn't want to make a scene. I'm like, too late. Way too late for that. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, so she's only going to be wearing a robe and slippers. So we need to gather around her and walk with her to the car. <laughs> it's like, are you, Florence Nightingale, are you kidding me? 
She starts barking at management. Get the wait staff over here. So you know how like, the, the wait staff moves in pods when it's like your birthday and they come over to the table? That's how they did it. They're like, and I would expect it. They, they, they walk over. My mom comes out kind of looking like E.T. You know that scene? Like she's like in the robe. She's like, oh, my God. And we surround her and we slowly move down the hallway to the waiting car. And my brother's out there like in the getaway car sitting there, and um, we open the door for her, and I look back to thank Florence Nightingale. She is gone. She's gone. And I was thinking, did she even exist? <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get in the car. We got my mom in the car. We sit there, and my brother starts it, and my mom does a big sigh. She always had a great sense of humor. She goes, ah, I'm really sorry but that cheesecake was out of this world. <laughs> Hope for the holidays, kids. All right, you guys ready for our first storyteller of the night? All right. Oh. All right, uh, please put your hands together for Jill coming to the stage right now. The day that I am the most grateful for being Jewish is Christmas Day. Um, you can get really good flights. The ski slopes are completely empty. Um, you don't really have to give gifts except to your post office person, postman. Um, and I've just never been like a huge big holiday person anyway. Who is? Um, well, some people are. Anyway, when I moved to the Cape um, about four or five years ago, my first friend on the Cape was a woman some people here might know. Her name is Coco, and she lived in Brewster. And I really didn't know anybody, and I was living in a cottage which was barely heated in the woods. It was kind of thorough-like. And Coco took me in. Uh, she had a really cool house, and she had a wonderful fireplace, and she had tons of friends and tons of parties. And we had a lot in common. Um, and we really became very close. She was a, a, a total nature freak. She knew Nickerson Park like the back of her hand. She had two dogs. I'm not a dog person. Um, and she was really big on, we, we differed aesthetically a great deal. She was an artist. She is an artist. And, um, but her sense of art was always like a lot of objects and a lot of, a lot of stuff all over her house all the time. It was her decorations and her shelves and her her obsession with objects was quite overwhelming. Um, and that was always, I would always say, you know, why do you need all this crap? Why do you need it? Um, anyway, she, she had a Santa Claus collection. Really, you can tell I was really interested in that. And um, she put it out and great, and we had the parties and stuff. Um, a few years later, Coco decided to move away from the Cape. It was really sad for me because she was just such a great friend. She decided to move to the wilds of Colorado, way up north, practically Wyoming. Her son was living there. Somehow she felt her destiny was, she was time to leave the Cape, which was really sad, really sad for a lot of people. She's been just an amazing person on the Cape. Um, and I knew that I would visit her. So I recently did visit her. Uh, Thanksgiving, actually. I was going to Santa Fe, where my niece lives, never been to New Mexico. But I figured all those square states are kind of near each other. That was kind of my, 
right? I mean, you, how far could it be New Mexico, Colorado? They're all the same. Um, and it turned out to be uh, a rather difficult journey. There were storms last couple weeks ago in Denver. There were storms in Santa Fe. There was, it was a very difficult trip to um, get to where she's living. I did get there. I had to rent a car. I had to get taken by a Jeep through snow drifts. It was incredible. Um, what I didn't tell you yet is that Coco has been ill, and um, it looked like she was going to be really be able to beat it. And then the day before I left on my trip, the news wasn't so great. So it was a really hard trip to go there and just be so excited to see her in her amazing 5,000 square foot home in the middle of the mountains, full of her stuff. Um, when she moved from the Cape, she had a yard sale. That got rid of a few things. And then she ended up, there wasn't one thing she could part with, so she had a moving truck. I think her moving bill was like $20,000 or something to get her stuff. And then she drove a car with her two dogs for the extra stuff and set herself up there. So I couldn't wait to see this bunch of stuff that she had moved. Um, so I got there, and she was really in wonderful shape last week when I saw her. Um, but the news isn't great, and her, her future is, is pretty uncertain. Um, her spirit was amazing, and there's more joy around her than there is in most people that I know who are very, very healthy. So it was a wonderful trip. I met her son. I met her, her son's girlfriend who got me through with the Jeep through the storm. And the, we had to winch the car around a tree. You know what a winch is? We don't have winches here. They have winches something with the rope and the thing. Um, there are six dogs in this house now. Um, it's, as I said, it's an expanded version of her other house, so she's accumulated more stuff. So I said to her, um, okay, what do you want to get done? What's the most important thing to you right now to do? And this was after I was walking the dogs, I was cleaning, I was cooking, I was like doing everything I could do to help. And she said, most important for me is to get my Christmas decorations up. I thought we got rid of those, some of them at least when you moved from Brewster. I mean, why would you move $5,000 worth of Christmas lights to Colorado? Uh, I said, okay, whatever you want, great. I think it's stupid. I think your Santa Claus collection is ridiculous. Um, and this involves a lot of dusting because you can't, put the stuff on the shelves, there's already a lot of stuff on the shelves. So we're lugging down these boxes of Santa Claus, 75 Santa Clauses in this collection. Not just Santa Clauses, I mean, we're talking gnomes, we're talking reindeer, we're talking, and I'm like trying not to be, I'm such a judgmental person. My aesthetics are so, so pure, you know. I mean, Jews don't really decorate for Hanukkah. They just don't. You light the menorah, it's over. Um, so, okay, and we're taking, it's up and down the stairs, and it's easy. she's too weak to really lift these boxes. And we get them down there, and I had to dust a lot, because, as I said, I do a great job, I have to say. I mean, I'm not that good with Santa Claus, but I did a great job. And they were done, and everyone, there were people around, and it was the most loving, amazing week I've ever spent with anybody ever, and when I got the Santa Claus done, the situation was quite under control. And I just felt like I'm home for the holidays.
Um, is Jerry in the house? Jerry, I think I saw him like there. Oh, look, he's he's been in his dressing room preparing. He's not like. <laughs> I want to thank everyone for being here to celebrate my holiday, which is today. Saturday 14th is my holiday. I celebrate Saturday 14th because that means I survived Friday the 13th. That doesn't happen all the time. The last time it didn't happen was July 2018. I was in bed at 10 o'clock. I hadn't had a drink in two days. I got a phone call at 1130. It's my girlfriend at the time. She's saying, but she's in P-Town. I leave North Truro, uh, pajama bottoms, flip-flops, and a t-shirt. Pick her up. Coming back, I'm trying to get to six on Conwell. And before Yardarm, the lights in the back, the cops. I'm like, what do they want? My car's cool. My license cool. I made sure I did everything right. I could walk a tightrope at this point. Miss Miller, can you get out of the car? Fine. <laughs> I get back in the car, and I stand back there, and they both put wrist on the wrist and elbow, hold me akimbo like this. They said, Mr. Miller, we have to take you into custody. There's a warrant for your arrest. I said, hold on. And they said, what? I said, I have to fart. And they pulled back, and I let out a good one. <laughs> and they recovered, and they said, wow, thank you. It was very considerate. I said, no problem. So then they take over to the station house. My girlfriend's upstairs. She's making a ruckus. I'm downstairs. And I was like, wow, can you tell me what the charges are? And they said, no. You have to find out when you talk to the judge and your, uh, and your uh, uh, defense attorney. I was like, it's Friday. He goes, yep. And we've been calling a bail bondsman, and we can't keep you here. And they can't find a bail bondsman. You've got to go to Barstable County. I said, till Monday? Yes, so we take out to Barnesville County. Barnesville County, orange jumpsuit, Velcro sneakers, a wristband with my picture and my bio information on it, a pair of tidy whities I needed the tidy whities So I go in there, I'm in there, and for Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Monday morning, there was this transgender correction officer. Everybody talked about it later. She was the only one that was nice to me. I said, I'm going to be here for three days. Can I please have a pen and paper? She was the only one that gave it to me. I started writing something. Letter from a Barnesville County Jail. Why am I here? <laughs> I'm sitting there, and uh, there's a metal bed, a metal toilet right there, horrible food. I only use a toilet with liquid. I did not touch the food. So we go back, and we're, so on Monday, they put us back in the van. I kept the tidy whities I get my other clothes back. I needed them. And uh, we're downstairs in the hall. And uh, uh, they find out who's going to be having what lawyer's going to go to whom. So they come up to me, Mr. Miller, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I in here? <laughs> he goes, oh, it looks like you have a, a, viol a possible violation of your restraining order. I had a restraining order put on me by uh, someone and because of money. And contempt of court fixed that. But that's why I was still there. And I said, I've been observing that restraining order five months before the affidavit went out. No, I didn't go to the restraining order hearing. All right, so okay. Uh, well, like, I've been doing that already. Okay, well, it looks like you wrote a poem. What do you mean I write a poem? I'm a poet, I write all the time. 
It's like, like someone gave them. Oh my God, I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem to some people that I knew in Truro that they were the only poets I knew. We had poetry reads. I knew them for five years. I said, oh my God, why did they give it to her? And who cares? Here's a poem. Sugar cacao, soil in trouble. True evil lurks and served in double. Two came to this world and they came needing. They came from the west and east of Eden. Sight of a warlock and a fractured Catholic. Their eyes glow of temptation, avarice and colic. The witch's creed of a little shop of horror. Highland white fudge betwixt 666 and the Helltown border. Peddling male white delicacies of ill health and doom. Narratives that belie logic, precede the truth and loom. Truth, truth be damned as their spells incubate, for they seek no cure for their virus and co-hate. Followers of the witch's creed cannot claim victim as these harlots sacrifice love and virtue all in a whim. They ingest the creed's mendacity with joy and alacrity, abandoning honor, courage, commitment, and integrity. Core commitments thrown askance for fleeting praise and shallow acceptance. As for those as these, is but a small price to pay, a complicit society. Lord, Yah, Jesus, hear us pray. So when I got out on Monday and I'm walking around town, I'm going, people say, Jerry, where were you? I said, I just got out of the jail. <laughs> and so I saw a guy who I've known who's been to prison several times. And he goes, he asked me, where were you? And I told him. And he says, you aren't in the joint. That was a holding cell. I said, don't tell me I wasn't in the joint. We were all in there with orange jumpsuits. I'm saying I was in the joint. together for Jody coming to the stage. Hi, everyone. My name is Jody. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, wrong room. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so I've been sober 33 years, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but, but I also had a severe um, addiction when I was very young. I started very young. So I'm 14, I'm working for an attorney's office in New Haven, Connecticut, and it was a big job. I was like the file clerk, I was there Go Friday, Girl Friday, whatever. And so um, the owners, the two attorneys, Cornell and um, Bill, decided I was gonna be invited to their Christmas party. So I was a drunk, I was an addict, but I also was a very hard worker, and I got that from my grandfather growing up. So when I was at work, I was sober and I wasn't using. But after work, I was always drunk and using. And so they were inviting me to this Christmas party at their very fancy house in uh, Westbrook, Connecticut. <laughs> I'm from Connecticut, if that isn't clear. If that isn't, if, that isn't, if that isn't clear, I'm from Connecticut, but I live here now. And, um, and so we're getting ready to go. And you know, I, I was drinking for hours prior to the party. And we had to get some fancy clothes on. And my ex at the time is never wanting to go participate in any of these things. And so we're fighting, and I'm crying. And I'm like, it's only 40 minutes. We're going to drive. We're going to be there for an hour or whatever, and we'll leave. I need to go. This is the place that I work for. And so we get there. And I probably had been drinking like sea breeze or something crazy like that, like vodka and like cranberry and grapefruit or something. And then I get there, and they're serving wine. And I don't know why, but you know, again, I'm like 14 years old. but. I get a glass of wine, and it all seems like normal to me because that's what I did. 
and we go off into this other room, and it was a big party. There was probably like 40 people there, and there was lots of food and lots of drink. And, um, and so we're in this other room. It's like a secondary living room, and there's a piano, and I sit down, and it's this beautiful, very large, like 80s style. Oh, it's like 1980 something, by the way. And it's this big, overstuffed 80s couch that's like pure silk white, very fluffy, and this giant ottoman. And I have this tall glass of whatever. I mean, my drink of choice back then was not only the, the Seabreeze, but it was also like really cheap, like Riuniti wine. And, but I think this was better than Riuniti wine at the time. So they're giving me this big goblet of glass of wine. And I always drank from a bottle. So like I wasn't like used to the. And so I spilled this glass of wine, the whole entire glass of wine on the white ottoman. And I'm freaking the hell out. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I, I can't let them see this. What am I going to do? So I go running into the kitchen. And the first thing I see is a stack of these red cocktail napkins. And so I go over to the ottoman and I start <laughs> like trying to, I'm trying to like absorb what's there. And, and, and I'm making such a mess out of it. And I'm like, OK, now what am I going to do? Oh, and on the, I forgot to say that I had been crying for hours. So not only was I drunk getting there, but my eyes were so bloodshot that it was just, it was a mess. The whole thing was a giant mess. And so I, I, I soak up what I can, and then I realize I'm making it so much worse because the dye from the red cocktail napkin is just going further into, and it started out with maybe a spill that was this big, and now it's the whole fucking thing. It's like the whole ottoman. It's just like, like it's no longer white. It's like pink. And so what am I going to do? You know, these are the guys that I work for, and I want to keep my job. And so I flipped it over. And we left. Okay, so please welcome Paul to the stage. Paul Richardson. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Hi, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Kwanzaa. Um, closer. Okay. So my story is called He Did It Again. This is about uh, Christmas with my mother and father. And my father was probably the most childlike and excited person at Christmas. He was the first one up in the morning at 5 o'clock in the morning to make sure that everything was right downstairs. The coffee was made. The turkey was getting ready to be put in the oven and all of that sort of thing. I think he didn't have such a great time at Christmas at home when he was a kid. His parents were pretty strict, and I bet that it was very regimented and not really a good scene. But anyway, um, this was back in well, 1975 or 1976 was the first uh, episode that I'm talking about here. And he bought my mother a kitchen stove. My mother hated the stove. She'd been in the house for five years, and it didn't work. It didn't work right at all. And I'm sure she was telling him, Fred, we need a stove. Fred, we need a stove. Fred, we need a stove. And instead of saying, Priscilla, let's go buy a stove, OK? No. Under the Christmas tree, <laughs> he always was having fun decorating and putting presents under the Christmas tree, but he had taken the stove apart. 
So <laughs> the burners were wrapped up. The under trays, each one was wrapped up. And he would have a theme some years for how he would wrap Christmas presents. Some years it was newspaper, some years it was tissue, some years it was stuff, he was a doctor, so it was stuff from the office. It was, you know, with ribbons, but it was, it was Fred. Anyway, we have a hundred pieces of a stone underneath the Christmas tree. My mother comes down and she looks at the Christmas tree and she's like, what's going on? Priscilla, you open up the first present. Like, okay, Fred. And it's a little piece of like one of the undertrays for the stove. And she's like, I'm not getting this. But we always went around in a circle, and I had four brothers, my mother, my father, and at that time my aunt Doris lived at home. And my aunt Doris knew everything. So she's I don't know that there's a stove under the Christmas tree. Uh, so we make the circles. People are opening up their presents. And then she opens up a burner. And then she's like opening up the side panel of the stove. And then a, a, a stove door. And she is pissed, pissed, pissed. She's like, I'm the one who does all the goddamn cooking. And I can't even buy my own stove. Oh, I'm gonna kill your father. I'm gonna kill your father. But miraculously, my brothers and my father and I, well not my father, because he was not, not really good with tools and implements. Um, it's a, a doctor, he was a doctor. And he was very good with a needle and a surgeon, but he was not a surgeon. So um, anyway, we got the stove together and we put it in and cooked the dinner. My mother still hated the stove. And she said, if he ever does anything like this again, I'm going to kill him. Well, it was next year or two years later. It was a big production because he was buying her a new car. <laughs> no, 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 he didn't take the car apart. But it was all a big secret again, of course, and at midnight, um, we go down, my brother and I and my father, we go down to the car dealership to pick up the brand new emerald green two-door Thunderbird. And my father and my brother and I, Christmas Eve in New Hampshire, with an unheated garage, have to wrap the car. <laughs> so we do. We wrap the car and it has a big red ribbon with a big bow. And I'm really good at like making bows for presents. Um, so there's nothing under the tree from my mother the next morning. <laughs> She's like, what's up with this? Where's Priscilla, come here. Priscilla, I've got, I've got something for you. She's like, oh no, what is it now? We go out to the garage. <laughs> and there's the car and shit <laughs> because he bought her a car that he didn't ask her what kind of car would you like Priscilla he decided for her she 
always hated that car. <laughs> but she forgave him. So it was Merry Christmas ever after, because after that, it was jewelry. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Beth. So, um, my name's Beth Goldstein, and yes, also Jill, another one of your tribe. So, um, yeah, I'm Jewish. You can tell from my name. And that started, that's sort of the, the point of the story. When I was a little kid, you know, I just wanted to have Christmas so badly. And my parents, they were sort of, you know, they had experienced World War II. So they were the, like, you can't assimilate. You know, like, you know what happened in Germany and the Nazis and those people. And part of the problem was that the German Jews, they assimilated. So this, you know, you can't. But I was like, but, but. Mom, you know, I want to have lights. Can we just have lights? It doesn't mean that we're Christian. So we would go driving all over to, you know, other people, you know, other neighborhoods and our neighborhood. We didn't grow up in a Jewish neighborhood, so they had lights. All my neighbors had lights, and I had this, like, obsession. So, you know, time goes by, and we don't get any lights. You know, we have Hanukkah. It's fine. I get the present a day. But all my friends, they have Christmas, they have the tree, they have the presents, they have lights. So, um, you know, I would just sit and I would be like, Mom, please, you know, we could have like white and blue lights. No, you know, then we'd get the story about assimilating. So, um, my neighbors, the other kids in the neighborhood, they wanted to go caroling. And I, you know, I went up to my mom and I was like, Can I go caroling? And she's like, okay, okay. And I was like, and can I wear like red and green? And she's like, you can wear red and green and you can go caroling. But here's the thing, when you sing a song with them that has the word Jesus or Christ in it, you have to go, mm-mm. <laughs> you know, are you willing to do that? And I was like, mm-hmm, all right, okay. Mm -mm. So I go out with my friends. I had to do a prompt for this. They, you know. So um, I go out with my friends in the neighborhood, and we, you know, go to different houses, and we drink our Ovaltine, and we eat our cookies, and we sing. All right. So God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember mm -mm, our Savior, <laughs> we born on Christmas Day. So I got it down. Right. Took me a took me all day to remember that word. <laughs> um, and I got it down, and I was like, okay. So I went to Glee Club, and when we sang Christmas songs, I'd be like, mm mm, mm mm, you know, all the way through high school, maybe college, maybe now. I think I still do it in my head. So the other thing was, because I really was obsessed about wanting Christmas, and I didn't understand this whole assimilating thing. I didn't, you know, like, it wasn't getting it. I was too young. But my brother, so my brother and I, one Christmas Eve, we um, ran up to my father. We couldn't handle it anymore. We were like, like, yeah, I know we had Hanukkah, but it just isn't the same. So we went into his drawer, and we got the biggest socks he had. 
and we put them on the mantle. I think they were the ones from the big boots, you know, so they were like this big. Because, you know, my, my, my poor mother, you know, she just like, she didn't know what to do with us because we were like, we want Christmas and we want lights. So, <laughs> so we put them up on the mantle and we put carrots out. We put some beer out for Santa and, you know, some cookies, <laughs> maybe a little milk, maybe a little chocolate milk. And, you know, we went up to the top of the stairs and then we went upstairs. We fell asleep. We came back down and lo and behold, Inside the socks were little presents. Can you believe it? You know, it was like, wow, there is a Santa Claus. Maybe he's Jewish. <laughs> so um, that went on for like a couple years. It was pretty exciting. Like we got to have a little bit of Christmas. But one of, one of those days, after a couple years, I came down and we opened up our socks. And I'm like, you know, I think I already have this Pez container with the, like, animal, with, like, the bear on top. And my brother's like, yeah, and I have this Pez container with, like, the antelope on top. And I was like, and, you know, I already have this, like, outfit for the Barbie. And he's like, same with G.I. Joe. <laughs> so I ran into the kitchen. I opened up the refrigerator, and, of course, there were the carrots, and there was the beer, and cookies were in the cookie jar and I went up to my mom and I was like mom have you been like like there wasn't a Santa you're are, are you Santa and she's like yes you know okay I've been doing this thing and I was like but you've been giving us presents that we of stuff we already have she goes well it took you a while to figure it out <laughs> She's like, you know, like, I, you know, then we had to have the conversation about the Nazis and assimilating again. <laughs> and, like, she just didn't feel good enough about, like, buying us presents. So, okay. Fast forward, I go to college, and my very best friend in the whole world was Sue Rosenthal. And we're ready to go home for the holidays. And I said to Sue, like, so what do you what do you all do for Hanukkah? And she's like, Hanukkah, you know, Shmanika, like whatever. Like we light some candles. Christmas. And I was like, Christmas? And she was like, Oh yeah, we do Christmas. We have a tree and we get presents. We have, you know, everything. And I was like, Do you have lights? <laughs> she's like, Yeah, we have lights on the tree. And I was like, Do you have lights outside of your house? She's like, yeah, a few. And I, I was just like, what? So, you know, it's a seven-hour drive back home, and I, I get back to my parents, and my mom opens the door, and she's like, hi, honey, welcome home. How is school? And I was like, forget school, Mom. Listen, <laughs> Sue Rosenthal's family, they have Christmas, and they have lights. And... I guess they assimilated. <laughs> just have to say, just to give, this is um, with apologies to my mother. Because uh, <laughs> I assimilated too. Put your hands together for Chris. Come to the stage. 
All right, so um, so I grew up in Waltham, Massachusetts. Anyone? Anyone? Waltham? Walt? Okay. Arlington? Really? Okay. Waltham. And um, uh, four kids, two and a half boys. I'm the half. And um, <laughs> Christmas was... Um, Christmas was like the one day in the year that my family did not practice the emotional scorched earth policy that, that I kind of grew up in. Um, and, you know, it, it, really, it really was amazing because, you know, Christmas morning would come and, you know, we, we couldn't wait. We couldn't wait to go out and see all the presents because it was the one day of the year that they actually acknowledged that we existed. Seriously, um, and there'd be all these presents under the trees, and my dad was in a great mood, and my mom was in a great mood, and they really did not like each other at all. They, they did not get along at all. They should have never married. They should have never married. And um, anyway, and my dad would have the 16 millimeter, you know, camera taking all the, f and we were all so happy. And, and honestly, the rest of the year, like, we got food, we got clothing, for me, that meant on Easter, a brand new dress. That went over really well. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and then, you know, Christmas Day would come, and then all of a sudden, there'd be toys and bicycles and new baseball gloves and, and all of that. And then we'd go to my grandparents' house. And the thing that I always noticed first um, about my family was that there were a lot of bottles in the kitchen beautiful bottles with all different colored liquors and you know, all different colored uh, liquids in them, browns and tans. And, and they were all, my, my family just was in such a great mood on Christmas Day. It was like, it was like no other day during the year. And now they drank every other day during the year too, but something about Christmas um, and, you know, and they'd all be drunk and we would all be happy because we not only had presents, but we had been acknowledged. And, um, and they knew that we existed. Um, and, and even though uh, there's been a few laughs here, and Christmas was really, it really was a great day. And you know, when we were coming in today, uh, and I realized that it was about us telling the stories, I thought there were gonna be like professional storytellers here that were gonna come in and you know, tell these great stories and we were all gonna laugh or cry or whatever. And then I realized it was going to be us, and, and my friend said, well, just tell stories about, you know, uh, uh, you know, holidays with the family. And I'm like, yeah, there, no, there wasn't really much there. <laughs> well, what about girlfriends? Nah, no, no, no drama? Nah, not really. Excitement? No, no, no. No, no excitement. Uh, no, and then Jody got up, and actually, I, you encouraged me, Jody. Thank you. So, so the moral of my story is that um, that Christmas was, in fact, the one day in every year growing up that I actually knew that I was loved. All right. Welcome to the stage, please, Kathy, who raised her hand at intermission. Yes, Kathy. My name is Kathy, and I have a story from quite a while ago. 
So I grew up here in Massachusetts, and we had a very close-knit family. Not a lot of religion, but lots of very active Thanksgiving activities and Christmas activities in my family. And so after I went to college uh, here in Massachusetts, I went to Fairbanks, Alaska to be a graduate student in wildlife management. And my first winter away from home, that was in 1976, and my first winter away from home, I spent Thanksgiving on the top, by myself, on the top of a mountain on the Kenai Peninsula studying wild sheep. And it happened to be that the grizzly bear that lived on that mountain came out of hibernation unexpectedly. So for the whole week that I was there watching these sheep, I was sleeping in a sleeping bag with a loaded rifle with me so that in case the grizzly bear came in, I was ready to shoot the grizzly bear. So I just had um, um, craft macaroni and cheese for the whole week and I'd add another can of something like peas or hash or something to it and by the end of the week that was Thanksgiving and I, that's what I had. So my family decided that for Christmas they were going to really help me celebrate and they all got together and each one of them sent me presents which I normally don't get lots of presents but they really made an effort and I didn't know that and then at the end of Christmas I was talking with them and um, at that time of, of the season or the year uh, it was very expensive to call between Boston, Massachusetts, and Fairbanks, so we didn't talk very much or for very long. But I found out that there were presents that had been sent to me, and I said, I didn't get a single thing. And they said, you didn't get anything? My sister said, I sent you a sweater. And my brother said, I sent you something, blah, blah, blah. And my mom said, but I sent you all this stuff. It turns out that 1976 was one of the very active years for the transatlantic Trans-Alaska Pipeline, and it was all developed in, outside of Fairbanks, or from Fairbanks. The whole town was full of con artists and pimps, which I also had to be careful of. And um, the, ho the post office workers stole every single package that year. Not a single package came through Fairbanks, and I lost everything. So ever since then, my, my family has taken advantage of insuring post office packages. Please welcome to the stage, Mercedes. When the theme, when I heard what the theme was, the first story that came to mind was, I was in my 20s working at a law firm in Sacramento, California. Uh, I had a terrible crush on one of the partners. She was beautiful. <laughs> After a while, the rest of the office knew this, and it was kind of the inside joke everybody knew. Um, they uh, were a small office, and they did personal injury, and uh, he'd had a really good year. They had a really good year. So this Christmas, they actually rented a whole room out at this restaurant, and we all had to get dressed fancy and nice. And we get to the restaurant, and as we're sitting at the table, everybody's looking at our boss to see, like, when the waiter comes over and he says, you know, uh, drinks, you know, can order drinks. And the boss, we all turn around to see, like, what our cue is, you know, is it going to be coffee, water, tea, or 
bending the elbow, as they said. So Dude opens up by opening or uh, ordering bottles of Dom Perignon for the table. So uh, that was our cue. So we not only had Dom, but uh, again, I was in my 20s, so we were drinking a lot. Uh, these, these lawyers really like to drink. Um, so it got really kind of crazy and, uh, you know, flirting, trying not to flirt, but flirting anyway. Uh, her husband knew I had a crush on her as well. My, 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 my boss, uh, well, yeah, she was married, but she was having a, an affair with the other uh, lead attorney in the office. Um, so uh, the evening goes on. Everybody's pretty wasted at this point at the restaurant, and we start having to leave. Um, we were blocks away from the office, and I'd left my car there. I end up getting a ride back with both of them. I'm sitting in the back. She's sitting in the passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat, my two bosses. I'm sitting in the back. I scoot up to the front, and I'm doing this, you know, because I can't believe I'm in the car with her, and uh, he happens along for the ride. He's a driver. We're, uh, we're driving downtown back to the office when he turns around and he sees the Holiday Inn there and he looks at her and says, hey, you, me, Mercedes, right now, what do you say? And I thought, oh my God, is this really going to happen? <laughs> no. No, because I actually have to go home, pack, and get my ass from uh, Sacramento to Tucson home for the holidays, right? I'm drunk. I, I can't even walk. I tripped out of the restaurant and ruined my pants. I get, uh, so I actually, I'm sitting there, I'm listening to this, and I looked both of them and said, well, I really wish I could, but I can't. It's a bad night. I got to go home and pack and get to the airport because I'm flying out the next day. So, uh, th okay, that happened. So he, he drops me off. I'm tumbling. It didn't happen, thank God. Now, you know, looking back. But so I get home, stumble up the stairs. Uh, my roommate's there, and I look at him, and I'm, I'm piss shit drunk. I couldn't even ba barely stand up. I said, dude, I need help packing. Could you help me pack? I need to pack my bags, but I have all those presents over there that I still have to wrap and pack. So he goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I go into the room. I start trying to get myself ready. I, I don't even know what I put in the bag. I throw stuff in. I come out because now he has to drive me to the airport. Now I, All I see is this black garbage bag sitting in the middle of the living room. Uh, I said, uh, so where's the presents? He's all, presents, whatever. He says, they're in there. He says, who's going to care? Just take it with you. So he takes me to the airport, drops me off there. Again, I can barely move. I'm, like, drunk off my butt. I get in, checked in, don't even know how. To, I, I almost missed my flight. I'm in the bathroom with my head in the toilet when I hear them calling my name. You know, this is it, dude. You're going to come to the plane or not. So I uh, get on there. I felt so bad for the people sitting around me because I was bad. Um, now, the good news was is that uh, well, not good news, but kind of good news. My dad was on the other end picking me up. He was an alcoholic, so that didn't really matter <laughs> getting off the plane. So I wasn't too worried about that. So um, that night, he, uh, the next day, because I wasn't going home to my mom's house until the third day, but the next day, he decides we're, uh, we're going to go out and do something together. And I was like, okay, great. So uh, it was him and his wife at the time, and I, he says, meet us at this place. And I hadn't been there in Tucson for a while. So 
It was a new place to me. I drive up, it's a bar, um, a dance club bar. This is my dad. I'm in my 20s, and it's my dad. So I walk in there. It's like, okay, so here I am. And he's all, hey, uh, stick your hand in my pocket. My dad was always dressed in three-piece suits. Uh, he was a jeweler. He always looked really nice. And usually when he'd asked me to put my hand in his pocket, it was usually because he had made me a piece of jewelry um, with emeralds or diamonds in it, which was always really sweet. And it was a holiday. So go reaching into his pocket, and I'm like, yeah, no. And I pull out a bag of pot. <laughs> I was like, Dad, what's this? He's like, well, you don't have to take it out here. He's, you know, uh, yeah, he says, I got you something. To sh I got you some so that you could have some fun while you were here, and you got to share it with your stepbrother, uh, whatever, you know. So it's just that, 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 that. So home for the holidays. That was my story. It's just like <laughs> totally blew my mind. <laughs> okay, next to the stage, Kate. I just wanted to give you one tiny anecdote that reminds me of something Beth was saying. One time, I've got my son with me here today, and one time we had Easter, and my ex-husband and I got to the Easter morning, and we're like, oh my God, we totally forgot to get candy. Like, we didn't have anything for the kids at all, except for up in the closet was um, a tub of bazooka bubble gum from like two years ago earlier and so do you remember that it was it was terrible we gave it to them anyway like that's all we got <laughs> anyway so that's easter nobody really anyway so when i was little i grew up in new york city and um uh lived on a quiet little street um except um there was a bike gang on our street, which really meant that a couple of guys had bicycles and they would ride around. And uh, so they called themselves the bike gang. And I was 12, and there was one of the boys in the bike gang was 13. His name was John. And he had my same birthday, which was pretty endearing, which helped me to overlook the fact that he had like a goopy eye. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was about. But anyway, then my best friend Alexi was 14 and her boyfriend Doug or Greg or something he was 15 and I thought that was really cool we were 12 13 14 15 and we all went on a date together I'd never been on a date and uh, we we decided we'd go to the movies so um, we went down to 86th Street to the Translux uh, movie theater and we were going to see Poseidon Adventure, which was pretty exciting, um, biggest movie at that time, um, except it was PG, right? So we didn't realize as we like marched up together, you know, in our date formation, thanks, um, that we wouldn't be allowed in. We just got shut down right there. And I was like, oh, darn, you know. Great date, here we go. So luckily it was New York City and around the corner there was another movie theater and they were showing Cabaret. Now we'd gotten smart and we weren't gonna just try to go into Cabaret because that was our. So we got some, you know, some kind couple to 
pretend we were all their children or something and they took us in, right? So now we go to cabaret, which is like pretty serious, especially for a 12-year-old. But I wasn't really focused on the movie. I was focused on John. So he was there, and it took us the whole movie. So our hands are on the thing. And it took us our whole movie to go from like pinky touch to like two fingers, three fingers. And by the end of the movie, we were holding hands. But that was it. And then we left. And, then we <laughs> and that was as much action as I had with the boy for a really long time. But uh, it was coming up on Thanksgiving. And always for Thanksgiving, we went to Cape Cod. And uh, my grandmother had a house here. And it was super traditional. I have Mayflower on both sides. And we were like total pilgrims. And so we had the long table and the perfect turkey. My uh, mother and aunt were very competitive about gourmet, whatever. And it ha they were so Martha Stewart, way before Martha was even in jail or anything. And so... It was always perfect. I always looked forward to it, and, and my cousins would get together, and it was really great. So I always looked forward to it. But John asked me if I wanted to go to the Elton John concert. And it was at Madison Square Garden, and Elton John was just getting really big, and I loved Elton John. I loved I would go to my friend Ann Thomas's house, and we would dance with pillows <laughs> to Elton John. <laughs> Like all those songs. And so I was really torn up because we always went to Cape Cod for Thanksgiving. So I told John, whose father had box seats, that I couldn't go. And that was pretty much the end. Like that we broke up or whatever we did. I don't know. There was just no, you know, the thrill was gone. So I told him I couldn't go. And like... A couple weeks later, or I mean, he was planning way in advance. A couple weeks later, my mom tells me, guess what? We're not going to Cape Cod this year. And of course, there were no tickets left for me. And to this day, as Elton John is having his last, last tour of forever, I still think about how I missed that concert. It would have changed my life. Thank you. <laughs> Put your hands together for Demi! All right, so I grew up in Texas in a very um, religious Pentecostal family. So Christmas was always kind of a solemn time for us. There, were, there was no drinking, no real partying. Just kind of um, open your presents, drive for four hours and argue, because it was Texas. <laughs> um, but... The first year I ever spent Christmas with my, uh, my ex's family, my girlfriend at the time, um, she was Catholic, and this Christmas party at her house was always this big deal, like there were 60 people there, because <laughs> they grew up in this huge house. And they, um, they always had like Italian food, because they were Italian, and I just thought, oh my god, this is it. There were uncles drunk in the kitchen. There were cousins outside smoking pot. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> but it gets around to the time where kids are opening presents. And there's a Santa there. And the kids are all having to go and sit on Santa's lap. And my girlfriend pulls me aside and is like, you're going to have to go 
sit on Santa's lap. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I am 17 years old. <laughs> and if anybody knows me personally, they know that I am an absolute beacon of shame. <laughs> I am so easily embarrassed all the time. So this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to anyone in my 17-year-old mind. So I'm, I'm arguing with myself. I'm like, do I really want to be, do I, do I want to do this? Or do I want to be, like, difficult in the eyes of my girlfriend's family for years to come? And eventually one side of me wins out, and I go, and I sit on Santa's lap, and I hold the present, and they're like, smile, take a picture. <laughs> and first, I look into Santa's eyes, and I realize, oh, my God, that is my girlfriend's dad. And I am sitting on his lap right now. <laughs> and I look at the camera. They say, smile. I do not. <laughs> And at that moment, I really wished I was home for the holidays. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Thank you for signing up. Welcome to the stage, Kryn. This is not a story about <clears throat> lights and nativities. It's actually a cops and robbers story. But. It's related to Christmas because at Christmas time, as you know, the big box stores, they hire um, extra labor to come in and help them with their uh, inventory and, and so on and their displays. So I had this client who, I'm a defense lawyer, by the way. I, I had this client who got a job at the Burlington Mall, Filene's, when there was a Filene, so that's how long ago this happened. But anyway, he got assigned to... Um, put things in order in the polo section. Well, he decided he liked that stuff so much that he got a big cardboard box. Now, this is all on film. <laughs> and he takes things, whatever he sweat is, and shirts, and, you know, makes this great pile, puts it all in the cardboard box, and then he rolls it out to the... To the um, place where they, where they bring in the stuff, and of course he gets stopped. You know, they knew he was coming, and of course there's somebody there to stop him. So of course he's charged with, with larceny. Anyway, we go to court, or I go to court, and we're ready to uh, have a jury trial, and I had to, my client wasn't there, and I had to say to the judge, well, I know he's coming. I'm sure he's coming, I've talked to him, he's coming. So I went out, I had to call him, he wasn't coming. He was still asleep, that's how important it was. But anyway, he finally did show up. Luckily the court was busy and he wasn't noticed. And what was he wearing? <laughs> With a big P, you know? Not little ones, the one with the big. What? I said, go in the men's room and turn that inside out. That's all I could think of. Well, there was also another alleged criminal in the, in the courtroom at that time, and he heard me yelling at him. And so he was wearing a leather jacket. He followed my client into the men's room, and he came out wearing 
the sweatshirt inside out, and this guy's leather jacket. So he was all set. Well, he, he got off the whole thing anyway. Everything was dismissed because when they went to, I went to bring in the, the um, evidence, the box of Ralph Lauren polo wear, which was pretty much full when he rolled it out from, from uh, Filene's. <laughs> but all this time, it had been at the police station. Very little left. <laughs> Case dismissed. Done. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Pam! Come on to the stage, Pam! My home for the holiday stories begins on uh, New Year's Day of 2008. Uh, we were living in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, close to Crozet, so beautiful. Um, I had just finished packing up a U-Haul trailer and just finished putting my three babies into their car seats in the back seat. And I adjusted the mirror because I wasn't gonna be able to see in the back, so I just adjusted it to look into their faces and knew that on that day that I was, I was changing their life. But I knew it was the right thing, and I pressed my right foot on the accelerator, felt the tug of the U-Haul, and headed home to Cape Cod. I didn't grow up here. I grew up um, off Cape in Metro West area, but my parents had retired here in their summer home in East Ham, and so this was home. And I was grateful to fall into their loving arms, um, sad that my marriage had ended, but knowing that I had worked really hard to make it work, and um, my surgeon husband was just never going to figure out how to be a doctor and a husband and a father. And that wasn't enough for me, and that wasn't gonna be enough for my boys. Um, so, we lived with my parents for the first year and a half that we were on Cape Cod. And uh, I did my best to kind of make us small in the house. You know, we were crashing their retirement. They were young. They were three and two and not even one yet when we walked in the door on, um, at New Year's. And um, so that was quite a challenge. <laughs> Um, but one of my most basic roles I felt as their mom was to, to create a home for them. And I was, we had started in Atlanta, we were at Emory University for grad school and med school, and, um, and then Virginia for the residency, and after a year and a half, we, there we were at Cape Cod. And um, so we were with my parents for a year and a half, and then it was, it was time I had figured out how to um, put a few dollars together to, to start looking into renting a place. I had owned other houses, um, but I wasn't going to be able to do that now. And um, I had kind of fallen down a social ladder from the cul-de-sac in Virginia to being a single mom with three children and um, not a lot of money. And so I was, I was interviewing at, at uh, houses for rent, apartments for rent, um, usually just a couple bedrooms, and each interview, I would go in, I'd have my resume, I'd be dressed 
and I, we'd have a great conversation and everything would be going really well. And then the homeowner would ask me who would be living in the home with me. And I would tell them that it would be me and my three little boys. And their face would fall. And many would tell me that, I'm sorry, you can't, I can't rent to you. Uh, you could be a squatter and I wouldn't be able to get, I wouldn't be able to move you out of the space because you have three children. And I was horrified. A squatter? I wasn't going to be a squatter. I just needed a home for my boys. And um, interview after interview went the same way, and I just, I felt so small. I felt I just would kind of, the only way I could describe it is that I scurried away. And um, it was really humbling. Um, the first summer that I approached, my parents were, they had retired early and they were traveling every summer, um, traveling across the country, going to state or national parks and camping. And so we didn't have a home for that summer, that first summer, or sec this is the second summer now. And um, so I finally found a place, it was a studio basement apartment and it was 400 square feet. And I got to that part of the conversation where the landlord asked who would be living in the home, and I would say, me and my three boys. And their face, his face fell, but he was kind. And his eyes stayed warm. And I finally just said, listen, you are my last option. And if we're not live, going to live here, my only other option is camping. <laughs> and he softened, and he talked to his wife, and... They agreed to let us stay there, and so we stayed in this basement apartment and um, had a wonderful summer. The kids still look back on that summer fondly, right on the bike trail in Brewster. Um, my parents would return in the fall. I found another, another cottage, another little itty-bitty small place to live. And, um, and then eventually, one day, my mom, who never goes on Craigslist, had told me that she found something in Craigslist. And it was in East Ham, it was on Schoolhouse Road, and I went for the interview, and it was a real home. And, you know, multiple bedrooms and down to the living room, and it was right across the street from the elementary school where the kids would go to school. And um, gave a tour, and again, super kind, amazing family. Had the whole family come in. Um, Sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws would all came to interview me, and they all opted to give me a chance. And so that was our home. For seven years, we lived there. The kids went to elementary school. Uh, we'd walk across the streets like Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> uh, I worked there, so I got a job there, and the kids went to school there, and I, they would come to me at the end of the day, and I'd be with them with all the kids at the end of the day, and it was wonderful. But as they've gotten older, um, you know, their friends become more important. They need more space. They want their teen space, and the house was starting to feel a little tight, and we didn't have those kind of spaces, and so all of us were kind of We've been feeling kind of angsty. And the owners, after s seven years, had decided they wanted to rent the house week to week in the summer, which I totally understood because their rent was really generously low. And um, so we were feeling like we needed a change anyway. So instead of staying till March, like we, he said we could, we decided to leave in June. And I had no idea where we were going. I had no idea what would come next. I just knew we needed a change. So we left the house. And um, we moved back in with my parents for the summer. And that, again, was our soft place to fall. 
And um, in September, a good friend of mine who'd known me from um, 11 years ago when we arrived on the Cape, she's a realtor now, and she called me and she said, hey, Pam, there's a house going on the market tomorrow, and uh, I think it would be perfect for you. Do you want to come see it? And so not having any idea that I could get a mortgage or that this could happen, I went to go see the house. And after 10 minutes, I knew this was the home I wanted. And I said, yes, let's do it, full price offer. I have no mortgage. Oh my goodness. So I, I just said yes, and we just signed the papers and um, sent it out there. And I went to get a mortgage, and it all happened. Everything clicked into place, and the house was mine. And I did not tell my boys. It was going to be a month before closing day, and so uh, we waited that month, and I did not tell them, kept it a secret, drove my parents crazy. They could hardly stand it. And um, my plan was for me to tell them on Halloween. And our first stop on Halloween was always neighbors of my parents, Keith and Linda, and um, it was always the first stop. And so I told the kids, um, Keith and Linda are going to be giving out candy at a friend's house this year. And um, so we're going to stop there first, just like we always do, but it's going to be at another house. And they didn't think anything of it. So now they are almost 13, 14, and 15. And we go to the door of our new home. And they have no idea. And Keith and Linda answer the door, and they are dressed up as ketchup and mustard. And the house is empty. My parents are there, too, actually. They brought pizza, and I, I orchestrated all this, but I couldn't do it because I was just too emotional. And so I had my dad put on spooky music, and they had food, and Keith and Linda were ketchup and mustard. And they were standing in our kitchen and uh, talking about costumes and just being really casual. They did a great job. And Linda says, uh, so... Uh, this, yeah, friends of ours just bought this house. It's empty. Do you guys want to look around? And so the boys were like, sure. So they run around the house, and they're going through all the rooms, and this home is um, a fixer-upper. Every room is a project, um, but I'm up for the challenge. And for the first time, and it has five bedrooms, 2,000 square feet, five bedrooms, three bedrooms on the first floor with a bathroom for them, and so for the first time in their entire lives, they've been sharing a room for 15 years. <laughs> and um, they're going to have their own rooms. And so they were running around the house. And then my dad, I had my dad change the music from the spooky music to Philip Phillips' song, Home. My kids and I would watch American Idol. And when that, that season that Philip Phillips won, that song, Home, just really resonated with me. And I told my kids, this song really makes me feel like 2008 when I brought you here that I was going to make Cape Cod your home. And so my dad changed the music to that song. The kids knew that that had meaning for me. They all came back, hey, guys, come back into the living room. So they all came back to the living room, and my dad said, hey, guys, we have one more treat for your treat bags. And he handed them each a key. And he said, this is your new home. And my son, my 15-year-old and I had had some challenges around his new girlfriend. And I hadn't really touched him for a long time, many months. And it was making me really sad. And I was so excited to give them all this gift. And their reactions were so wonderful. And Caleb, 
sorry for using his name, Caleb. Um, he stood there, my 15-year-old, and he just said, wow. And then he hugged me so tight and held on. And I just held him back and just savored that. And then he whispered in my ear, good job, Mom. Good job. And for the first time in 11 years, this really will be, we will be home for the holidays. Thank you for listening to the Mosquito Story Slam podcast. The Mosquito is produced by Vanessa Vardabedian and William Mullen with theme music and editing by Jay Hagenbuckle. Find your next opportunity to join us in person by following us on Facebook and be sure to subscribe to this podcast for more stories. Remember, tell your friends, take a chance, and bite it live. <laughs> <laughs>